John, the San Diego Padres have struck again, 350 million, 11 years for Manny Machado. Amazing. And and just to look at right now, the difference between the Padres, the mid-market Padres and the huge market Dodgers, particularly at the infield position at, at shortstop. If you count Machado, Machado could play shortstop. If you count him as a shortstop, he's obviously a third baseman. But they've got three guys who are great infielders uh, combined making close to a billion dollars now. And the Dodgers right now have a problem at shortstop with Gavin Luck. Uh, Luck's with the knee injury. Uh, the, he looks like he's going to be out a while. They signed Bryson Brigman, uh, who'd been in the Marlins and Mariners organization. It looks like Miguel Rojas is their shortstop for now. Uh, producer Andrew Hartz mentioned maybe IKF for the Dodgers. You know, Jose Iglesias still out there, but Dodgers have some issues right now at shortstop, and uh, the Padres look like the big behemoth team right there out there in the NL West. So good of you and Andrew to tip off our competition to look into IKF with the Dodgers. We'll talk more about Manny Machado. We'll talk about John uh, meeting up with his new friend, Jacob deGrom. Sam Fold, the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, will join us. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. On the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and since we last gathered, John, I, you had written a lot anticipating that Manny Machado would sign an extension and stay in San Diego. He went, he had made a faux deadline of February 16th. He blew by that for 350 million reasons. Uh, he did an extension for 11 years. Uh, what do you think about the Padres, the big market Padres flexing their muscle again? Well, they're always called small market Padres. I think they're mid-sized market. I, I understand their TV deals and spectacular. They're kind of hemmed in there by, you know, Mexico and you've got uh, the Pacific Ocean. So, you know, they don't have that great area, expansive area. And, you know, their revenues have a limit and give them credit again. Peter Seidler, an incredible job spending money to win. He wants to win badly. They do appear to be one of a few teams that I think will lose money, the Mets included. Uh, I think most teams make money, but uh, I, I can't see how the Padres do it. It's incredible what they've done. And, of course, now with Juan Soto there, and we know he turned down $440 million, uh, you know, what are they going to do there? I have talked to some people over there, and they did kind of suggest, uh, even though people think they're going to go for Otani too, they said Otani might be a little rich for us. So there is a little bit of a limit. I don't know if there's a limit for Steve Cohen, but a, a little bit of a limit for Peter Seidler with the Padres. So you know something that's amazing? 
is four of the largest 14 contracts in the history of the game have been signed by the Padres. Now, there's three on the Yankees, but the Yankees didn't sign Stanton. They signed Cole and uh, Judge, obviously. So four of the 14 largest, and that includes Machado twice, by the way, 300 and $350 million. I will just say this. I think you and I are pretty much in alignment on this show regularly, John, about we like when teams go for it. But I think it should probably be uh, pointed out that this contract is going to take Machado through 41 in 2033. Bogarts through uh, uh, age 40, 2033. Darvish is going through 41. Um, Tatis Jr. will go through 35. So in in 2033, they'll have 34-year-old Tatis, 40-year-old Machado, 39-year-old Bogarts. There will be a price probably down the line for doing what they're doing today. Absolutely. The, one Another question I have on the other end of it is the opt-out that uh, allowed uh, Machado and his agent to do this. Uh, you know, do you have to give an opt-out? You gave him $300 million. Was there somebody bidding more than $300 million for Manny Machado at that point? I mean, it become clear the Yankees were, had been rumored or anticipated. Uh, we're not really in it. Um, you know, I, I, I guess teams feel like it's okay. It's not a big deal, but it but it is a big deal. I mean, look at Rodon. He went from a three million dollar player, got that fifty million for two years with the opt out, turned that into what did he get? One hundred sixty two million dollars. You saw Bogarts, who got that team friendly deal for one twenty, opted out and ended up getting two eighty. Uh, I mean, Machado, uh, his idol, mentor, I guess at the time, was A-Rod. A-Rod started this with the opt-out and uh, give them credit for uh, initiating the opt-outs. And that has been a huge boon for for players. You know, I know that uh, MLB came out a few years ago and kind of advised against it, but uh, teams just have not listened. And, uh, I mean, to think that Manny Machado has now signed for more than A-Rod 300 beats the 252 and 350 beats the 275 twice. Uh, I know there's inflation, but, uh, you know, I mean, he's a great player, but he's not Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. And, but, but he was going to be the best pure position player on the free agent market next year. We, we've got to figure out what we're calling Otani uh, a hybrid. He's still the biggest star to your point. Uh, you wrote a really good column uh, the other day talking about exactly where that number might go for someone like Otani and who might uh, be in there. But by taking Machado off the marketplace, I think uh, myopically me and you were looking at the Yankees and especially the Mets uh, for next offseason for a place he could land. It's like funny, the Mets actually have multiple good third base prospects. And between Correa and Machado, all they've been doing is not trying to use their third base prospects. Maybe they're telling us something and we should listen to them. What do you think? Well, you know, Beatty is a terrific hitter and he's a top 20 prospect listed. I don't know if that means anything. I, I was thinking as an Angels camp, I'm in Sandy, I'm in uh, Arizona right now. And there was a third base prospect that was a can't miss top five prospect. I can't even think of his name now. And he came to the big leagues. He had a couple of home runs and he never hit over 200. You never know. I think there are defensive questions with Beatty. You saw Mauricio. I don't know if you were there. I know you were with the Mets a lot, but the 450-foot home run. So they do have two good third-base prospects. I think we just think that the Mets are going to go for the big, shiny object and go for the best player who's established already. Maybe we shouldn't assume that because they are trying to build something. They are trying to repeat what the Dodgers did too and draft and develop guys. And I, I think 
it would be advantageous if Beatty and Alvarez really are a serious part of their future and Mauricio. So I'll, I'll say this, uh, John, if you, we didn't have prospect lists and we were just watching and there, you get fooled in February and March, but if we didn't have prospect lists and I have been begun asking this question, tell me why Beatty and Alvarez are better prospects than Mauricio. I mean, uh, Mauricio looks like he could be at the NFL Combine. Uh, we won't. I won't embarrass it. You'll know the p- person I'm talking about. We used to have a joke about the listing in a media guide for a coach. They kept his playing weight from his coaching days at like 215 when probably it was 100 more than that when he was a coach when you and I were around. Do you know MLB.com has Ronnie Mauricio at 166 pounds? 6'3", 166. He's probably 6'3", 240. He really, he looks like he could be playing outside linebacker and he moves great. The ball explodes up his bat. Uh, if you watch the drills, his first step quickness, even at short, I don't think he'll stay at shortstop. He's probably too big for it, but he's an impressive looking dude. Uh, and I think if we just put them all out there in shorts and t-shirts, John, and said, tell me who the best prospects are. I'm not exactly sure that you would put Beatty and Alvarez in front of him. Yeah, no, I mean, he's an enormous guy. You know, I wouldn't go by somebody's physique. We all remember Dominic Brown and Glenn Braggs and whatever. You know, there are a lot of ball players who look like Schwarber who are spectacular baseball players. So can't go by that. But I'm watching him also move and contact the ball. And and look, maybe at AAA and certainly in the major leagues, people will start spinning it and he can't hit it. Uh, certainly his chase rates are the things that everybody will point to. But he is. If you made me say, what's the thing that made me go hmm right now? He he is in mind. Can can I throw something out to you, John? He is a Met prospect. In your Arizona travels, you stopped in at a guy who used to be a Met prospect, not a big one. It does show you that guys could come from off the grid, and that's Jacob Degrom. I wonder what what your thoughts were uh, off of uh, talking to Jacob, uh, who uh, left for one hundred eighty five million dollars in the Texas Rangers. Yeah, I, I will say uh, prospect lists, they're just guesses. I, they do a good job, but they're certainly not exact. Uh, more exact than the NFL, where Tom Brady pick, gets pick number 199 and Joe Montana's a third rounder. I think the baseball guys do a better job, but it is clearly not exact. Yeah, I mean, Jake DeGrom, you know, he told me, he refuted a lot of, you know, what he would say are mistruths or misconceptions about the Mets, and I, I think you and I both thought that he was not happy, at least certainly at the end with the Mets um, last few years, um, that he was not happy with his contract. He said he signed it. It was more money than he ever expected to get, and he was not mad about it. Uh, we do know he did change agents. Um, he said he was not unhappy with the Mets. He's got lifelong friends there, and uh you know, he never really cleared this up while he was in New York. Uh, he waited until now. And, um, you know, I do give him credit because I've been p- pretty tough on Jacob deGrom over the last year or so uh, with the fact that, you know, I think I've generally called him uh, the highest paid uh, part-time worker in America. And, uh, you know, he said, hi, John. And he gave me 10 minutes alone, which uh, probably more than I deserved. So I give him credit. It's certainly it was, more than you deserve, John. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it, not probably. It was more than I deserved. And uh, we're, we're at about 10 minutes on this segment. I'm not sure I want to keep going with you here. But so, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I, I give him credit. I get it. 
I get it. And, you know, I mean, he was, um, I wouldn't say a bullion, but he was engaging. Uh, it wasn't Jake DeGrom that I hadn't seen. Maybe he felt the pressure of the opt-out and all that. And he, he uh, we just talked about Machado with a faux claim of opting out. Uh, DeGrom was accurate with his opt-out, so I, I give him credit for that. And, uh, you know, I'm now, after the 10 minutes, I guess I'm a, a DeGrom fan. I, I'm not sure if he was as happy as he said he was in New York, though. Uh, you were there as well, so I don't know what you thought. <laughs> yeah, you, I didn't realize you were this easily swayable. Ten minutes and you went from uh, the highest paid part-time worker to you're a big big fan now. And uh, he was miserable last year, John. I, I, I don't care what the cover story is. Now he's clearly somebody who probably enjoys not being in New York. Uh, I enjoy uh, watching this version of baseball so far. John, I wonder if we could wrap up this block by just you know, this is going to be the story that never stops this year, where we're we're making drastic changes to the game, uh, and uh, we're a few games into it. Uh, what what do you think from uh, what you've seen so far? Well, I'm biased. I mean, we have deadlines, and uh, I know people are going to say we're selfish and whatever, but I mean, with, with the game that's going to be about two and a half hours instead of three hours now, uh, it's a big plus to, uh, at a big big city newspaper. Uh, you know, you won't see that earlier story in there that's. Uh, usually uh, not as good as the game story with outcome in there. And uh, it'll, it'll take a lot of pressure off us. It's not that I want to get to dinner or anything like that. Uh, it's good for our job. And I think it's, it's good for the fans too. I, I think they'll like it. I know I'm wondering if I'm a jinx. I've been to, I've been with three games. Two of them have been over three hours. I think they're the only two games over three hours out here. Uh, you know, the Angels are playing two-hour games. That's the part of the rule that really I think people are most focused on now. We'll see how the shift band plays out and the bigger bases. That'll take a little bit more time to figure out. I generally love the new role rules. I know some of the old-time players. I went to dinner with Chili Davis last night. Not in favor of it. Don't like to mess with the game. And I get it. You know, they think they players should be able to figure it out, be able to hit it where they ain't. You know, I understand it, but... Uh, I think we're getting more offense and shorter games, and I think that was the goal, and uh, I think that's the way it's going to play out. Well, I, I would say this. You know how much I like Chili Davis also is uh, – uh, did Chili order, like, instead of something like a protein, meat, fish, did he order fat? Like, we're cutting fat out. Like, that's what's being cut. I, you know, the, the first game I saw with it, John, a few days ago – it had 18 at-bats with runners in scoring position. 16 pitchers were used. There were three ball counts up the gazoo. Uh, there were 21 strikeouts, six walks, two hit buys in an era, and it was 233. That's a 333 game last year because people are walking around the mound. People are stepping out. It takes forever with pitching changes, et cetera. I will just say this, John, because we could talk about there's so many new rules and the impact. I was in Met camp, and I think we both – we've known Buck Showalter a long time. I think we both admire how his brain works with baseball. I wish there was a documentary crew going around with him because he's not letting us into his laboratory. But the things that come out of his mouth make me think, what are we going to see from him and other thoughtful teams? He was talking about how you got to have like an in-shape bat boy who can get the right back to the player quickly each time. He was talking about, let's steal some stuff from high school and college. He wouldn't tell told me what that means. I think he's going to, instead of do signs, you know, where you flash signs, I think he's going to hold up the symbols like they do in college football with dummy symbols and stuff and go, good luck decoding this, and I could do it quickly, and my whole team could know what it is. I'm fascinated to see what comes next out of his brain. 
Yeah, is he going to have tryouts to see who runs the fastest on the bad well, boy? The bad boys, yeah. I'll say this just quickly on Chili Davis. You know, he appreciated the cat and mouse game between the batter and the pitcher, and that's that's all great for the players involved. But for the fans, I, I think the fans will be better off with the pitch clock and a little bit more action. Yeah, I think in the old NBA, George Mikan liked the cat and mouse game in an 18 16 game before the 24 second clock. We needed to move along in that sport. We needed to move along in this one. And when we move along on this show, coming up next is the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, Sam Fall. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Uh, we're so happy to be joined by the general manager of the National League champion, Philadelphia Phillies, Sam Fold. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. I, I had a question I was thinking about all offseason as you were doing your work. Obviously, at the very top of the market with Trey Turner, Taiwan Walker, Craig Kimbrell, etc., which was when you were putting this team together in the offseason, were you thinking of it as the team that got – the sixth seed and into the playoffs by one game, or did you think you were building on the National League champions when you were doing your work this offseason? It's a good question. I think uh, it's probably somewhere in between. I think we um, we recognize that, you know, as an 87-win team last year, um, we were we were thankful to just get an opportunity to compete in the playoffs. And I think uh, we recognize that we have a long ways to go to get to where we want to be, and that's a consistent World Series contender and um i think we 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 hope to set the bar higher than you know an 87 win team year in and year out and that's certainly the the goal here um you know our, our ownership has made that clear our fans want that and i think that's the expectation not just to get to the world series and be happy about it um but to be a team that's you know in in the running to win a world series for a, a long sustainable period of time so you know i i think we recognized that last year in a lot of ways was a tale of two seasons felt like we were a different team uh, once we got through the month of may rob thompson did a, an amazing job just getting uh, our team back together and um, the team really rallied around him uh, we gained some momentum really early on and we certainly had some adversity later in the later in the summer and i think you know sometimes people forget that we you know, we struggled in the month of September. And as I said earlier, we were thankful to get into the postseason. We had, I think, two five-game losing streaks within the last three weeks of the year. So we had some adversity even even when Tom's came on. Um, but we do feel like, you know, we're we're a good team that still has a lot of work to do. 
Um, and we we recognize we have our work cut out for us in the Braves, in the Mets, uh, and certainly other competitors uh, throughout our division and in the league, obviously. Sam, thanks for joining us. I was going to ask you something else, but you, you mentioned Rob Thompson, and we love our podcast guests, so you'll only get favorable coverage on the show from now on. Uh, Rob was good enough to join us uh, the week of the World Series, which was pretty nice of him. Um, I hope he doesn't get in trouble for that, but it was only 20 minutes, as you know. Uh, what is it about him? I mean, I, I've rarely seen such a stark turnaround. I can remember the uh, Marlins uh, when they – uh, made their managerial switch in their World Series championship 2003. Uh, and they went to Trader Jack. What was it about Rob Thompson? Obviously, it took a, a long time. He's not as old as me, but he's been around a long time. What did you see in him, and what did he do to this team? Well, I think I, I've had the fortune of being around Thompson for the last, I guess, five years now. We, we both started with the Phillies in 2018, and you know, I was in that coach's room uh, with him on a you know daily basis for – uh, two two straight years. So I got a I got a sense of who Tom's was um, from the moment I became a Philly. And I think what comes to mind when I think of of Tom's is just a steadiness um, and a calm and a, a sort of stoic uh, characteristic that is really important as a manager. I think especially in this market. I think he was great in managing the expectations that come with being a, a Philadelphia Philly. And I think uh, he put everybody at ease through just his sort of behavior. There's, he doesn't get too high when, when we win. He doesn't get too low when we lose. And I think that coupled with his ability to communicate, not just on your podcast during the World Series, but uh, with you know all, all 26 players on our team, with our AAA staff, um, you know, we had a lot of opportunities to bring our organization together as we went through the postseason. And his ability to connect with the whole organization, I think, is really special comes from his player development background i think he's just got an appreciation for how collaborative this process has to be to make it work so he he's just got like a, an ability to connect with a lot of people he understands that uh everybody is a is a piece of the puzzle uh and i think our, our players are sort of rallied around that you know he, one of the things he had to manage through last year was almost a third of a season without Bryce Harper right he, and yet that was kind of when you made the playoffs 32 and 20 when he was out with his uh, fractured thumb you know you're going to play a while without him as he comes back from Tommy John surgery in November i wonder if you could give us an update status on where harper is and uh how you think your team will weather not having him for uh, some period of time this season I do think last year playing without him and having success without him gave gave us a boost of confidence. Um, it gives us a, a a boost now, but it also gave us a boost last fall when when he did return. Uh, I should say last summer, late summer when he returned. I think we were just we knew that if we could win without him, that we um, we were a better team with him in the lineup. Uh, and I think the same will go for this the, the beginning part of this year. He's coming along well. He's progressing well. I think we're just sort of, you know, as, as you tend to do in these in these long-term rehabs, just sort of taking it day by day, week by week. Uh, but all the progress has been steady, and we're looking forward to to seeing him. And, um, you know, we've got still a few years of, of, of relationship with Bryce and want to make sure that we're, you know, for his own sake and for the, the Phillies' sake, that we're keeping his long-term health in mind and don't want to do anything rash. But we're, we're definitely excited to get his, get his bat back in the lineup. He made a lot of big signings uh, this winter. Obviously, didn't spend as much as the Mets. 
or the Padres or some other teams, but you, you certainly uh, were aggressive in the winter. I want to zero in on the shortstop, Trey Turner. I think you talked to all four big-time shortstops that were out there, including Bogertz, uh, Correa, and Swanson. Uh, how did you guys arrive at Turner? Well, he's special, and we were. This this was a unique offseason in that you had, I think, four premium, really talented uh, players that played a a premium position in shortstop. So we we knew that we um, were had an opportunity to sign four really talented players, uh, one of four. Uh, now, I think Trey, we had history with between Kevin Long and, you know, Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, and we uh, certainly battling against him across the way when he was a Nat, I think gave us a little bit extra confidence that we knew we were dealing with a really quality human, uh, somebody that was going to, you know, not just care about succeeding uh, in year one of a contract, but, you know, deep, deep into the, the tail end of that contract that we um, ended up giving him. I think we felt like he was going to be a productive Philly for a long time. And he's just a, such a dynamic player. He can beat you in so many ways, but I think it all starts with the human being. And we felt really good about him as a, as a human and as a teammate certainly goes without, without saying what he does between the lines, but, but you know, a big part of what we did last year, I think, and what led to some success was our ability to connect with within the clubhouse and, care about one another, and I think he's going to fit right in. We've, we've already seen it here in the first couple of weeks of camp. Sam, one of the uh, interesting storylines in spring training, uh, strength of your team uh, last year, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez at the top of your rotation. You signed Taiwan Walker. You're playing with the idea of going with the currently 19-year-old Andrew Painter, uh, who doesn't turn 20 until, I believe, April. There's not a lot of upper minor league uh, numbers for him. We haven't had a 20-year-old or less make even 20 starts in a decade. Uh, Jose Fernandez was the last. Is he going to make it? And if so, why? Well, I, I think he's going to make it. It's just a it's a matter of when. Um, he's a really, really talented kid. And that, that, that's an obvious statement. But I think he's uh, his maturity stands out. I mean, he, he's already sort of tinkering with a couple different uh, pitch shapes this spring, you know, things that it's a continuation of things that he was working on over the offseason. We've only had him in organization for a year and a half, but I think uh, beyond what he's done, you know, when he's towed the rubber, we're, we're just impressed with his ability, his aptitude to learn. And I think he's, and his, his ability to really slow his heart rate down when he does, and he got promoted three times throughout, you know, last year, or I should say twice. And I think his ability to adapt to a new, new environment and just continue to compete. And he obviously dominated every step of the way last year. When that, when he becomes a Philadelphia Philly, I think remains to be seen, of course. Um, but, you know, I think we're Dave, Dave uh, Dombrowski obviously has history you know, um, having young, young, relatively unproven players break break with a big major league team. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But he's he's a talented kid who I think is going to be a, a really good, a really good pitcher for a long time. Yeah, I got to say, I hear a lot about Painter down in South Florida, where where I live uh, a lot of the time, and a very dedicated guy. Uh, he was up at that Cressy Institute, and uh, he's really putting in the effort. Uh, would be something if he made your team. I want to ask you about you, though. Uh, I know you were a candidate to be the Red Sox manager. You're from New England. It's interesting that you you considered being a manager uh, when you seem uh, like a very executive. You went to Stanford. You could be a manager. Anybody could be a manager. A.J. Hinch is a great manager with Detroit, went to Stanford. Are you happy that you settled into the executive role now as a general manager instead of manager? And uh, 
you know, how exciting would that have been to be the manager of your uh, the team that you grew up rooting for? I'm I'm very happy where I am. I, I love what I do, um, both both professionally. I think the the relative flexibility that I think this position affords you uh, with with respect to your family and not being tied to the calendar on the on the fridge. I think like that is uh, really important to me. And the Boston situation was a unique one. I mean, as you said, grew up about an hour from Boston and I think the Red Sox in some ways, uh, you know, uh, just a lot of great memories going to Fenway Park and, and um, had a great appreciation for the the group over there. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm thrilled with the way that played out. Uh, love, love Philadelphia. Excited to be part of this organization uh, to go into, I guess my now, now sixth year as a member of the Philadelphia uh, organization. And I, I'm, I'm ecstatic it played out the way it did. I, I would just follow up on that. Have the you know John brought up AJ Hinge, who started in the front office and did end up managing. Have you declared is this what you want to do, or do you can you imagine at some point there will be a fork in the road and maybe you'll go in uniform and try to manage? Well, I don't know if anybody cares about whether I make a declaration at this point, but I, I think um, here on the show we do a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I've learned is I. I uh, I mean, look, people's minds change and my mind's changed a lot over, over the years. Um, so I, I wouldn't ever want to completely close the door on, uh, something like that. Um, not that you file retirement papers uh, in this role as you do in a, as a player. But I think, like I said, this is a, this is a really challenging opportunity uh, for me. I feel like even though I'm embarking on the third year, I feel like I'm just learning at the same sort of rapid pace that I did. Uh, two years ago, and I've got a lot, a lot to learn, surrounded by really great people. So, you know, for the foreseeable future, I, I, I 100% am committed to staying in the front office. There was another pitcher that you know. I asked you about Painter, who's fascinating. I, I think the Noah Song situation is fascinating. He's the naval officer who uh, got drafted. Uh, hasn't played for the last three years, uh, was allowed now at age 25 to make a make a go of this. But because he's a rule five pick from those Boston Red Sox, uh, he either has to make your team or there. I guess there's some potential stipulation stuff or he has to be put through waivers or offered back to the Red Sox. Can a guy who hasn't played above a ball has been serving as a naval officer uh, go all the way and make your club? It's quite a fascinating story. It is. And, um, you know, we're, we're excited to have Noah in camp with us. That was definitely a question mark as recently as, you know, a week and a half ago. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a bit of a long shot. I'd say just sort of from the outside looking in, not having competed in three and a half years, but he's a talented kid who I think, you know, we, we recognize the, the industry saw him as probably a first round talent, uh, four years ago. And, and he's, was able to at least keep his arm moving, um, certainly not as consistently in, his, in this, quite the structured way that he would have if not on a naval base. Um, but, you know, it's been great to get him in camp, uh, you know, basically start the on-ramp process, and and we're going to see what we got. I mean, I think, uh, I think back to, you know, my old Stanford teammate, Jeremy Guthrie, who pitched a long time in the big leagues, and, he and I arrived on campus at the, uh, the same year. He had just completed a two-year Mormon mission in Spain, I think it was, and hadn't picked up a baseball in two years. And um, 
was throwing 97 and was immediately like the best pitcher on our, in our rotation uh, in fall ball. So stranger things have happened. I think um, maybe not much stranger things, but, but stranger things have happened. And um, I'm just, I'm just excited for Noah. I know he's, he's thrilled and he's uh, you know, all the reputational, uh, all the reputation that you hear of him as a quality kid uh, certainly been verified in the first couple of weeks that we've gotten to be around him. Yeah, that, that is a great story. I, I'm going to change the subject quite a bit here and ask you uh, the perception of the Mets, the, the spend, all the spending that Steve Cohn did uh, this winter. I mean, you guys obviously spent a, quite a bit yourselves. Uh, they did win 101 games last year. So just a little bit about the division, the Mets in particular, and, and the way they went about it this winter. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they're, they're going to be formidable. There doesn't seem to be um, anything stopping them over the next you know foreseeable future. I think they're they were aggressive this offseason. We were celebrating that DeGrom was not going to be in our division uh, any longer. And then, you know, <laughs> learn that Verlander becomes a Met and that kind of uh, quells some of the excitement. But yeah, they're, they're going to, we're going to have to compete our, our butts off to, to win the division against teams like the Mets and the Braves. And I think uh, I'm excited to compete with them. Uh, that That's a really good lineup. They don't, they have depth. I mean, they've got prospects that, you know, might not even make their, you know, really quality prospects that might not make their opening day roster. I think the industry is excited to see what Senga looks like. He's somebody that, you know, I think is an, a really talented pitcher who could be a, be really productive for them. So, you know, I think uh, between the Mets and Braves, we'll have our, our work cut out for us, but we look forward to competing with them. Sam, uh, as we're talking here, uh, a handful of games have been played uh, this spring training uh, under the new rules. Uh, I wonder if in general you could talk to us about what you think about these new rules, what you're seeing. But I, I, we've talked so much about the pitch clock. I wonder if we could drill down when in your eight-year major league career, you stole over 100 bases. And that part of the game has been drawn out of the game. It's an attempt to be put back this year with fewer pickoff attempts allowed and larger bases. So I wonder, new rules, but uh, the, the running game in particular, what you think is possible? Yeah, excited to see what that looks like. I mean, I, I, you know, selfishly, just uh, as, a, as a Philly, I think we've got a pretty athletic team that can – take advantage of that, uh, the, the bigger bases and the limited pickoffs uh, and the pitch clock and using all of those to our advantage. We've, we've been really good the last four, four or five years in the run game. Uh, I think we've got the second highest stolen base uh, success rate in the game and really, really proud of our staff's ability to you know use information, watch video, uh, read scouting reports and, and um, take advantage of that. So I think the, the rule changes are only going to help us and then just as a fan, I think it's exciting to watch guys, um, you know, <laughs> attempt to steal bases. I, I'm excited to see how many guys JT is going to throw out this year. I'm hopeful that we do get, uh, you know, some some additional attempts there. Uh, he's special. He's fun to watch. Um, so, yeah, as, from, a, from a fan's perspective, I think it'll be great for the game. I'm excited to see what this sort of game theory looks like between the pitcher and the base runner. You know, yesterday we were in Pittsburgh and, I, and we had a lot of lot of runners on between the two teams. And I think we only saw maybe two picks total. Uh, so it'll be really interesting. Obviously, stolen bases, it'll be tough to get a read on in spring training. That's always sort of a uh, – there's a lot of noise there that I think, you know, you can't read into. But once the regular season gets going, I think it'll be exciting to see how many guys uh, try to take some bases. Last question for me, Sam. Uh, I think you answered to some degree with Joel's first question and maybe to a degree – uh, by the way, you guys handled the the winter. Uh, 
you know, it was a very exciting run um, last year in the playoffs uh, when you pulled a couple of upsets. Uh, at least they were on paper upsets uh, based on the regular season. Uh, what's your philosophy in terms of the playoffs? Is it a crapshoot? And, um, you know, I know the Mets were quite upset. They've beaten you, I think, 15 out of 18 or 19 times, something like that last year. Did you feel there? Do you feel that there's some luck involved, or do you feel like you know really the cream comes to the uh, top at the end? I'd say it's a little bit of both. I mean, it, there's randomness. It's baseball. I mean, this is not this is not football. It's not basketball. I think you're just gonna the nature of the sport lends itself to more randomness. So certainly not uh, not going to dispute that. But I do think we did come together. I think there was some signal behind what we did it was just uh look some of it was playing as the underdog i think whether it's the regular season or the postseason playing as the underdog is is a sort of easier role to be in and we, we felt like in a lot of ways we were playing with house money as the sixth seed and i think that's helpful i think the game's meant to be played with with calm and and uh you know sort of at ease and without pressure and that's easier said than done but when you come in as the last team in the playoffs i think it's it's a little bit easier to do and, uh, yeah, I think that, look, like I said, the, the team galvanized around Tom's, around leaders in the clubhouse who stepped up, embraced the, the sort of Philly market and the fans. And, man, were they an asset during the playoffs. I, I think that's the other thing that, that needs to be stated is just how advantageous having those, those Philly faithful out there. It really did play to our advantage. And I don't think it's random that we were able to you know, play so well, particularly at home. So the top of the NL East is uh, going to play uh, in an interesting way. I think it's one of the most fascinating uh, stories of the year. The first big competition, and I'll wrap up uh, our interview with this, is you played for Team Israel the last time there was a World Baseball Classic in 2017. Uh, do you like this tournament? Uh, do you worry when you send players around? Uh, and are you looking forward to anything in particular with the tournament, which pre starts pretty soon now? I think the answer is three. I think you asked three questions. They're all yeses. Yeah. I, I think it's uh yes. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in it. I think it's a great, a great tournament that, that just is going to help grow our game internationally. I think um, it's an exciting event and it's look, there's no perfect time to do it. And you do hold your breath. I think when those guys go out there where you happen to be, I think we're losing 15 players uh, to, to the world baseball classic. So you do hope for good health more than anything, but Look, having played in it, it is a really special opportunity to represent a country, uh, and in our case, represent some heritage and and um, sort of shared common bonds that I'll I'll never forget. That was the last opportunity I got a chance to put spikes on, and so grateful that I had that opportunity. And to, and it's just a different level of competition. And yeah, as a as a front office member, you you hope that uh, they're able to sort of curb that uh, adrenaline and and use it in a good way, and then also be able to bounce back and get back into the spring training environment, but I will be following. Uh, there'll be a little special place in my heart for team Israel, but uh, we'll, we'll certainly place health and good competition at the top of my, my list. All right. Well, Sam, uh, John and I uh, truly appreciate you taking the time. Uh, good health to your players in the WBC throughout spring training. And uh, we both look forward to seeing you as the season begins. Thanks for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. You bet. Thanks for having me. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So uh, we really appreciated having uh, Sam Fold. Uh, I think we both think that that NL East is really going to be something at the top this year. See how much they beat up on the uh, fake Marlins and the Nationals. John, uh, we play hit or error to end the show every week. Hit or error? I'm going to go hit. Uh, I'm going to go to the uh, opposite end in AO West with the Angels. Uh, I'm giving them a hit. I talked to Mike Trout uh, yesterday, and he said this is the year. You know, it's been nine years. He knows that. And, uh, you know, he says everybody says it on the Internet. Uh, Mike Trout better get to the playoffs. And he wants to get to the playoffs for him and to keep Otani, to have a chance to keep Otani. But I thought it was interesting that he was – and I I give the Angels a hit for all that they did in the offseason to make it possible with Renfro and Urshela and Matt Moore and Tyler Anderson. I think they did a terrific job. But I thought it was interesting when – uh, Trout said to me that, uh, you know, we need to win for us and we need to give Otani something to think about. So I think he's realistic. I think they're realistic. They understand their odds are long and that Otani wants to win. And he's not all about the money. Angels have signed a lot of big contracts. They don't have the most most money either, but they need to prove that they can win to have any chance to sign him. But I, I think they've given themselves a decent shot at it. Rendon, healthy, Homer, Trout looks good. Otani, of course, looks great. I saw it. Saw them all yesterday. Yeah, so I'll surprise you because I'll do a hit also and not an nice. and 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 you kind of, no pun intended, hit on it, which is we know better, John. We've both done more than 30 of these spring trainings. As we're doing this show, February is ending. We're going to March. This is the time to be fooled. But let's give a hit for optimism. Like if we're not going to be optimistic now, when, when are we going to be? You know, to the point, I, you you know it because you've been there. The Angels are so upbeat about what, like, Rendon looks like after two surgeries and two bad years the last two years. The Braves are so excited about, like, the tentativeness has gone out of Acuna's game and he's moving around so freely after tearing his ACL two years ago. The Dodgers are excited about Miguel Vargas at second base. The Mets are excited about all their young players. The Yankees are excited about Volpe. The, the rubber will hit the road here. Sorry for the cliche alert. And, you know, the good players will be the good players and the bad players will be the bad players. And we should all know better not to care about home runs and strikeouts and stuff at this time of year. But, hey, baseball's back. Let's enjoy the optimism a little bit. Hey, I love your optimistic thought. When we're done with this, I'm going to go out and see the Oakland A's and write an optimistic piece about them. <laughs> well, you ended up friends with Jacob DeGrom. I don't think you're going to end up friends with the Oakland A's. That's the, uh, I, I think you got to draw a line someplace. That's John. a tough one. Yeah, that's not easy. 
Hey, but you never know. So I guess you got to join us uh, on the show every week. Uh, it's a podcast from the New York Post. Maybe John ends up an A's fan. Uh, we thank, <laughs> as always, uh, Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz for producing the show. Don't forget, uh, this show drops on the Yes app uh, every Wednesday at about noon. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. And don't forget, that we're kind of in spring training now. Join the journey with me and John on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayden.